Hi. Welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arakli, tech editor at Forbes India. In these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Our guest today is uh, Parag Nayak. He's co-founder and CEO of Sankhya Labs. Sankhya is a, an award-winning semiconductor company that has a range of products and solutions in its portfolio today for both uh, terrestrial and satellite communications. Parag went to engineering college and earned a degree in computer science. He's a serial entrepreneur and uh, Sankhya is his uh, third successful venture, if I'm right. And the company has partnerships with some of the world's best-known advanced electronics names. Uh, Parag, wonderful to have you with us this morning. Uh, thank you for making time. Uh, welcome. Thank you, Ari. It's a pleasure to interact with you again. Always a pleasure. Excellent. So, so to get us uh, going, uh, maybe you can uh, start by telling us a bit about Sankhya Labs, so folks are not very familiar with it. Tell us a bit about how you started the company, what was the idea that you started with, and why did you find it interesting at that time? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, we started Sankhya, the genesis for Sankhya started somewhere in 2004. Uh, it was in 2004, my first company, Smart Intra, got acquired, uh, you know, by uh, by an American MNC, NASDAQ, called Genesis Microchip. And uh, uh, as part of, and where I was in a locket with uh, with that company for a couple of years, and fresh from our success, uh, you know, all good Ponzi schemes, right? You you give good returns on investments first time round, and then you know you you increase the stake so that you get more money. And the idea that time was, you know, this is a technical Ponzi scheme, I would say, in some sense. We said, you know, uh, up the stakes. In, in the first company that we built at Smartentra, we were we are an IP company. In fact. Uh, interestingly, I'll talk about it later. Uh, we had invented what now passes over as OTT, right, in 2002, around 2002, 2003. And, uh, you know, what also passes over as Chromecast. Uh, we had a demo, and unfortunately, we were not as narcissistic those days that we would take photographs of everything, right? We don't even have a photograph of the demo uh, that we did those days. So, unfortunately, yeah, uh, it's, uh, at least for posterity, we should have done it. So uh, we had built this IP company, uh, sold it successfully, and uh, you know those were you know those were the days just just back of uh, uh, the the uh, you know the web dot dot com crash, and everybody was recovering this general hope. We decided that we wanted to build a product a semiconductor product company. We had always been uh, me and my co-founders had always been in uh, high tech semiconductor companies by. Earlier stint was with Philips, and before that, I I worked as a private contractor to the Indian Defence, building uh, you know hardware and software for for the Tejas aircraft that's just been inducted into you know the to the Air Force and into the Navy right now. So we have we have had a, had a tech background and we had this passion to build a, a tech company out of India, uh, and uh, you know deep tech now as as passes out because you now a lot of these Kirana stores also power with tech companies these days. So you know we have uh, so we have called ourselves deep tech. Uh, so, at, and at that time, uh, we were, uh, you know, in Smart Entra and uh, in earlier, we we were uh, 
some sense CP, uh, CPU architects, DSP architects at building specialized uh, CPUs for communication, for MPEG encoding. In fact, at Smart Intra, we built specialized, uh, you know, IPA for MPEG encoding. MPEG encoding and, uh, you know, what passes up as video analytics today as well. Uh, it's very nice in those days. So we just, like I said, we went from IP to actually building an end-to-end -end, uh, end -end system. And that was a vision, right? Uh, it was not a vision. We didn't have a business goal at that time. Uh, the vision was to create a, you know, engineering ecosystem. We still believe that we lack a very strong engineering ethos and an ecosystem in India uh, to build products. And that was the, uh, that was the goal of starting, uh, starting Sankhya. And we started off in 2006. Uh, we, we were, we are India's first fabulous semiconductor company, right? Uh, which is, which is ironical given the fact that we consume so much semiconductors that we have hardly three or four companies that actually build the uh, semiconductors in, in India. I mean, mostly design. I mean, we, we don't manufacture it. Fabulous semiconductor means, you know, you, 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 you design the chip and you get it manufactured, the manufacturing outsourced. Uh, so there are talks about right now building fabs in India, but then that's a little far-fetched according. So that was the express intention was to do that, and then in in the most uh, complicated pieces of technology, that is communications. Uh, those days, and even now, we had very rightly caught up and predicted that there's going to there would be a communication booms. I mean, the way communication systems work is there are a bunch of protocols that are defined, standardized protocols that are defined, and you implement those standardized protocols. Uh, we rightly called out the fact that uh, the, these protocols are, would be potentially, you know, uh, uh, very, very specific to uh, individuals. So much so that uh, going forward, every individual, based on his preference, can have a, pro a communication protocol for himself. And that called for a completely new radical approach to designing uh, chipsets, designing architectures, which are completely programmable. Uh, which are which uh, which actually can uh, change protocols by just a flip of a switch by downloading additional software, just like you do it on the PC. That was the genesis of uh, you know of, of Sankhya. Yeah. So so today, uh, tell us what uh, Sankhya has evolved into and some of your flagship products and solutions. So uh, when we started off, we we uh, the the product that we look for, uh, we we call it the software defined It's it was an esoteric uh, military. Uh, idea uh, that we brought it to the casino world. Basically, it means that you could build communication protocols in software. Right? So it was we always took a platform approach right from the beginning. Right? So this was a, a product of products. It was not a point product. So we built uh, uh, you know this chipset that that has uh, that uh, you rightly said at the beginning that that's uh, gone into satellite communications. I mean satellite receivers, satellite phones. We have done uh, broadcast receivers. Initially, we started focusing on the broadcast receivers. And uh, as we went along, we also built uh, you know, 4G subsystems, right? 4G chip, uh, systems around, the, you know, around this chipset. But then what happened is, uh, you know, uh, building 4G telecom infrastructure products uh, has been the purview of uh, big, large companies like Ericsson and Nokia and all of that. So it was very difficult in you know in 2030, 2014, the early part of the decade to actually build uh, systems and take it to production into you know with uh, with the large uh, telecom carriers. What's now happened with 5G is that there's this uh, there are uh, two big um, inflection points. Uh, one one is as we had called out very rightly that everything is going to be software based. 
and the industry finally caught up to the fact that you know you need to have software designed protocols uh, for you know implementing modems uh, that resulted in a in a in a consortia approach or it's a, uh, called open ran uh, open ran is uh, very loosely similar to you know what india did with upi right so a standard set of apis standard bunch of interfaces so that you know you could do a lego like approach to uh, you know to building telecom uh, products currently uh, if you look at uh, uh, you know the products on ericsson or nokia that vertically integrated that means that a single company provides the end to end uh, product and that kind of throttles innovation because there are only two or three companies uh, that actually control this market and then this there's you know uh, there that tends to be uh you know uh, monopoly uh, monopolization of this so the industry itself has come up with this open run part and the second part is the overall geopolitics uh semiconductors uh, telecom semiconductors especially has become uh, strategic to every country right every country has its equivalent of atmanirbhar bharat <laughs> atmanirbhar telecom uh lot of european nations are now started to fund their own internal companies to build uh, smaller companies to build so these two these two tailwinds have resulted us in big pitch folk to building a telecom infrastructure product so we started off building uh, consumer uh, chipsets for the phones and ended up being uh, you know being a p2p company selling to you know telecom infrastructure products so today we are uh, at the cutting edge of uh, building chipsets and systems and uh, platforms uh, for uh, you know for the 5g telecom infrastructure mm. uh, briefly give us a sense of uh, you know scale of your operations some of your major uh, partnerships and uh, large customers yeah so we are uh, you know we are uh, about 300 people right now uh, in terms of headcount uh, we have uh, an office r&d office in bangalore headquartered in bangalore uh, small development center in pune and some uh, sales offices in, in the us and and it, so we have today i mean i can't name all of all of our customers we go ready but we work with uh, large operators across the globe uh in europe uh in the us we work with uh, major uh, tv broadcasters in in us and and in india and within india we have uh, uh, you know worked uh, with indian railways in fact one of our products is actually uh you know installed on about 4000 uh, locomotive in the indian railways so if you know where your train is and this 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 app uh, that google google port uh, you know locate your train right so that uh, the information for location of your train comes from all devices installed on the indian railways product on the indian railways locomotive and uh, we also have uh, uh, you know recently won a tender uh, the state of tamil nadu to install uh, satellite uh, location devices on 3000 fishing vessels so that you know when you know they are geofenced if they if they uh, pass off uh, indian territorial waters they are warned it is an impending storm they want and then also these things prevent uh, the 26 type uh, 2611 type attacks right so that every port uh, you know has got a unique id and no any port that doesn't have that actually can now be intercepted and uh, you know uh, taken into custody so these are the and and finally we also work uh, with a partner uh, with the for for the defense forces we have built a indigenous uh, uh, software defined radio handset uh and uh, uh you know a man pack radio the ones that they carry in, uh, on their on, on their backs for you know any forward operations and these are in field trials with the army right now as we speak hmm. um you talked about uh, you know the early challenges of being a deep hardware technology company out of india 
uh, what were some of the really d- tough challenges and you know what are also some of the biggest breakthroughs that helped you build your business earlier on how did you convince your customers and so yeah actually uh, you know uh, it's like you know trying to build a hardware startup in india is trying to grow uh, rice in the desert right uh, use all your blood and uh, uh, sweat to you know build rice i mean come up with some rice and then the guy says i want basmati and you know in the gangetic plains and in, you know in the western coast here in india where we live uh, it's easier to you know uh, you know just throw a few grains of rice so it's a it's been an uphill battle uh, largely because investors don't understand this business and they think uh, it's, it's very difficult to build a business out of semiconductors in india right uh, largely because there's the non existent ecosystem uh, I, the lessons that we have learned basically is to don't try to fight the system right uh, you spend a lot of a uh, lot of energy in hindsight we should have taken the easier route uh, and probably uh, you know started this in the valley so even when we started of this company earlier on most people told us you know this is a valley idea right you shouldn't be doing this in india but then we were foolish enough to you know try this and we persisted enough uh the challenges basically uh, have been multifold because we are a small, i mean the, the the consumer electronics hardware ecosystem and you know the telecom infrastructure hardware ecosystem is populated by large companies right? large companies with billions of dollars of uh, you know uh, r&d capital uh, access to capital so fighting that and earning the trust that you could actually a small company out of bangalore could actually build something effectively uh, you know uh, and uh, poor five nights uh, reliability is something that uh, that was a challenge so initially uh, the initial set of customers were the usual thing right we used to keep in fact our first customer was uh, sony a potential customer we used to talk to them uh, you know i used to make this trips to japan every uh, every quarter and uh, initially they were kind of derogatory i mean a brown skin trying to come and sell technology there was basically you know like you know you are an it guy right you can't you can't take you can't talk technology to me that was the attitude then what happened is uh, we we showed progress to them uh, and eventually they they came in and they were also the reason why uh, or we got our first serious round of funding uh, from intel so intel at that time was trying to get into this market and uh, they were also you know doing their rounds in japan and so the guy in sony told them you know go to this company in bangalore they have some cool technology so we we want to plan that's how that's how we got our initial first cup and this is hardware uh, startups and products are very difficult right you the first uh, the gestation period is long the first product you know uh, i like to say that there's a there's a power mod work there uh, usually people you know you go very quickly from Zero to seventy percent to the first demo, right. and from the demo uh, to you know from seventy percent to ninety percent, and from ninety percent to hundred percent, each of them take exponentially more amount of uh, effort and cost to you know get the product out. So from a conception to a point where you know your product is reliably deployed on scale uh, takes about five six to ten years at least, and also a lot of effort. That's the lesson that we learned. Don't underestimate the second part of the journey. Uh, there's a technology piece and there's the engineering piece, right? In India, we tend to, uh, you know, we get enamored by the te- at least engineers like us. We get enamored by technology and then we kind of focus less on the engineering part. You know, building an organization that actually can take uh, take a proper scale. Uh, you know, you know, shifting gears a bit. Tell us a bit about uh, the uh, early difficulties 
Uh, you talked about how people t- told you uh, that, you know, this was a, a valley idea, but you persisted in India. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Sure. Uh, in fact, the uh, biggest impediment is the lack of uh, lack of an ecosystem uh, that actually sustains and nurtures technology startups. Uh, you know, they, they, you, you can't, you can't uh, grow this out, uh, out, uh, out in a desert. You have to have the adjacent, uh, you know, the ecosystem actually comprises more than just engineers. It, ne- it needs to have financiers, the venture capital, the lawyers who can write contracts, customers who are a bit forgiving initially, customers who, who actually can see, uh, you know, a gem, uh, unpolished gem or unpolished diamond and take it to completion. So all those are all those were lacking in India, right? So in, in that sense, that's why we had to move up the curve from you know building chips to actually building end-to-end systems uh, to you know to get uh, to you know to to build the entire ecosystem and take it to production. That was well, the biggest challenge. The challenges uh, largely have been on the funding side uh, also because they don't understand um, markets have been international. So uh, for example, in Taiwan or say in China. Uh, you know, a semiconductor and uh, hardware startups are like pawn shops. Right? They are they are on every street and nook of the corner. So you can get the entire stuff end to end here. Just like we've got a good software, mature software ecosystem here in Bangalore. Uh, we don't have a mature hardware ecosystem in India. That's been built slowly now, and it's things are changing, but uh, they're still not as good as what it should be. Hmm. You said funding was different. Uh, I mean, funding was difficult. Uh, what were come of the, what were some of the frustrations in terms of how investors did not understand, uh, you know, w- what you were trying to achieve, uh, and maybe you can also talk about how that has changed today. Hmm. Sure, uh, it hasn't changed much for hardware startups, I think. <laughs> yet, uh, but fundamentally, uh, we are what what I call the zero to one business, right? Uh, like Vito likes to say, we are, you know, it's a tech business. It's not a business model innovation. Uh, where you know you can you can scale the unit economics and then you need money to scale it. So people understand that. Most investors understand that. Uh, nobody understands uh, how do you build technology. How do you spot a piece of technology? Right? You need to, like I said, uh, have the uh, have the insight and the, rather the foresight of a uh, of a jeweler who can see a uncut and a uh, raw diamond. That that isn't there. So mostly we have always been uh, we have always been raising money from strategic investors, investors who understand the business and who understand the technology. I mean, explaining the value proposition of a software-defined radio to uh, to a normal uh, investor has always been a challenge. Uh, and uh, by the way, in India, as much as the uh, VC investment uh, community prides itself in funding teams and not ideas and all of that, uh, they are just uh, a bunch of uh, you know. Uh, uh, they, they just follow the the herd. Uh, every few years, there's a flavor of the season, and they invest in that flavor, most of it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So we all our in- investors have been either angels here in India. Uh, I fondly call them the NH4 angels. NH4 is the highway connecting Bangalore to Pune, and we've got uh, you know all small towns. Uh, you know we've got all these towns along the along the highway where we have investors practically. Uh, so we have a large uh, set of investors, angel investors on the cap table. And then all of our uh, institutional investment has always been strategic in uh, uh, strategic in nature. We have had Intel Capital, we are, then we had uh, also General Motors as one of our investors. 
and uh, then finally right now we got Sinclair Prophetic Group as an investor. All American. Mm. Uh, just to uh, step back a bit, uh, if you think back, uh, what prompted you to turn entrepreneur at a time when you know things like startups were you know probably unheard of in India? Nobody used to use the term startup. Today it's glamorous and fashionable. But it's a hard journey. What what prompted you to turn entrepreneur? Actually, we are accidental entrepreneurs. We never wanted to become entrepreneurs. Then I think it was our eight ninety eight or ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine when we started. Late ninety nine that we started our first company. Uh, it was on the back of uh, the um, the dot com boom, uh, and uh, also frustration that uh, you know we are not cut out. Some of us are not cut out for typical corporate jobs, right? Uh, it's frustrating beyond a point, uh, you know, in a typical corporate job uh, with all the politics and uh, especially the MNC variety. And then uh, we, I used to work for uh, large MNCs where uh, they would kind of dole out work to India, right? Even today, the core work in, uh, in a lot of Bangalore companies is, in Bangalore centers is not done, right? Other than Bareg a few. So the real meat of the work, the real, uh, real innovation is always done in the, the headquarters. And this is just a headcount growth in Bangalore. So that was that we could see, and that was frustrating. We wanted to build a fundamental technology, and that's why we started off uh, as an entrepreneur. And it was just a mostly as an experiment. We uh, and most of these things start off as experiments. That right? I don't think uh, you know, nobody can plan to become a successful entrepreneur or a successful business. Right? So we just accidentally started, and we had a like group of like-minded founders. I had about three of us who, who came together. Uh, and that's how we, you know, we started the first company. Mm. In uh, transitioning from uh, a founder of a new company uh, where you are unsure of success, uh, today to CEO of an established uh, high-tech business, what are some of the most important and difficult lessons that you had to learn? Right. Uh, actually, we had to transition from being a group of engineers to an actual company, right? Uh, when we when we started off, uh, we were pure tech guys uh, with uh, raw engineering talent, but not much of uh, management and finance and sales experience. So that's something that we have learned along the way that uh, you know to scale. Uh, well, if you look at uh, you know if you look at uh, typical services companies or all these other US startups in India, they're mostly operational companies, right? So that will pass up take up to their operational companies. So service companies in some sense are also aggregators. They take people from, you know, uh, they take raw talent and then they match make to different sets of uh, customers. So there the challenge is mostly hiring, operations, and uh, product management, project management. Whereas in a, in a, in a company like ours, realize that we were, we're scaling our has an operational part to it, but also there is a there is a innovation part, right? The, how do you actually create an environment and a, and a, uh, uh, you know a, a conducive environment to to create new products? So that's the challenge, and we have the challenge of uh, of scaling up. So we have learned to uh, figure out a way to do both now. Uh, in fact, the innovation part of the initial product building part is something that we are very comfortable with, and we are we have a very good reputable process. But scale out is something that we are learning uh, as we go on right now. And uh, the key challenge has been since uh, we tend to ignore sales. We believe that usually, as as good engineers, that the technology sells itself. Right? The sales and, ma- and and the marketing part. Uh, Branding the company, uh, I mean, 
discussion such as these, right? I would, you know, five, six years ago, I would say it would be a waste of time. We usually fly under the radar. We say, you know, you're better off uh, sitting and doing some technical work than, you know, than doing conversations like this. So that's changed. That's the lesson that I have learned. And then finally, like I say, uh, often to my people, it's more about the psychology than the technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, on that point, uh, I uh, came across a recent comment you made a, about a post, uh, about, uh, someone had posted a, an article on LinkedIn and uh, something about the case for optimism and and you commented that it was particularly necessary if you're in the hardware technology business. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. What is, how, what were you thinking, what was going through your mind uh, about, you know, when you made that comment? Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, if you see the current environment, right, everybody is, uh, nephews and nieces are raising money and becoming unicorns and billionaires. Right? And uh, here we are, sometimes you see, we build such cool pieces of technology and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, there's international patterns. We have an array of uh, very prominent and uh, very big customers, and yet uh, you know we have we have struggles. So, uh, uh, like I said earlier on, building, you know, growing, uh, padding in the desert uh, needs a lot of courage and a lot of optimism. Uh, you have. Uh, on a day-to-day business, you know, there is a lot, in any startup and especially the hardware variety, it's even worse because you have challenges with, uh, you know, actually funding, you have challenges with people, we have challenges on the operation side, oh, all these challenges. So you have to, as an entrepreneur, you have to have a, you know, uh, you have to have, you have to have an optimistic, out, uh, uh, you know, outlook towards life. Uh, there's, there's too many things that can, that can, that can go wrong, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's only a highly optimistic guy who can actually survive these things. And you need a lot of mental strength. Uh, mm. that's the, that's the challenge. In fact, most of the, most of the problems happen between, between your, between the two years. <laughs> Apart from hard finance numbers, everything is about an emotion and how you control your emotion. And most of them are, uh, Negative emotions most of the time, right? So, uh, you know, unless, uh, unless you go to a certain size, uh, you still have challenges about, uh, you know, existence and challenges on, uh, you know, uh, challenges on scaling. That's the. Yeah. Do you still think about, uh, whether you should establish a base in Silicon Valley and. We, we do think, yeah, we do think about it. Well, we have, in fact, most of our customers are based there. Uh, it's easier. In fact, uh, uh, the valuations of a, of a silicon company, of an equivalent silicon company are at least an order of magnitude higher. So in India, we have to give the Atmanirubha discount <laughs> because we are based out of India. So uh, valuations are different. The, uh, the access to customers are different. Customers find it, find it more comfortable to be with a value company than uh, probably a Bangalore-based company, especially for technology. Or a um, uh, US-based company. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, in fact, now there are more instances of uh, semiconductor design companies starting out in Silicon Valley first and then setting up uh, development centers in Bangalore, Hyderabad. That's that's the standard uh, pattern uh, that investors like, right? So you have the architecture team and the management team uh, sit out of the value of the US and then the rest of the current work of the engineering is done in Bangalore or Hyderabad for costs. That pattern kind of fits in very well. a pattern of, you know, we are an opposite, right? We have an Indian headquarters company with a U.S. Uh, presence. That doesn't work. 
that still isn't a set uh, precedent yet. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, just to kind of continue that point, uh, you know, you talked about how you have to manage your emotions. Everything happens basically between your two years. Uh, so, if you look back, uh, was there some some point where you felt like it was a real low point of your career? And maybe you can also match it up with uh, what has been the high point so far. Oh, we've had, uh, well, most of it has been low for quite a lot of uh, no effect. Uh, this is like what I like to call the trench warfare, right? You sit there, dig in your wheels and uh, fight inch by inch. The lowest points were basically, you know, we are 2016 and months earlier, we came close to uh, bankruptcy. Yeah. We have almost come close to closing down. Yeah. In about a week's time, in about around 2016, we would have closed down. That was the low point. We're trying to keep the team together and but luckily we didn't have any uh, any casualties in the team at that time. Nobody left uh, in spite of all the troubles that we had. That was a low point. We had another low point where in uh, 2013 and 2014, we had to lay off a lot of people. Uh, because as a board, we decided that uh, we had to, you know, uh, shift gears and change, uh, change the, pivot uh, the company around to something different. That was another low point. Uh, laying off people was not, not an easy thing to do. Uh, luckily, we handled it pretty well. Uh, in fact, a lot of people who were laid off came back and joined us again. So it's, uh, that, that's a good sign. The high points have been, uh, uh, you know, when Intel just, uh, Intel invested in us, right? Getting uh, Intel to invest in you, Intel Capital to invest in you uh, as a semiconductor company, you know, is, shows your, uh, shows that you arrived. Uh, that was one very high point. Uh, we have a couple of hours. I mean, I, I like to say like we are the subsidiary of uh, startup where we keep getting all these <laughs> all these uh, awards, but no rewards really as such. I mean, we are not still it's a David Dowen kind of uh, a movie yet. Uh, we got a award in 2011 where we won against uh, Dolby and some other international brands, uh, some international tech brands. That was a high point. Uh, when we closed our first uh, US, uh, you know, uh, customer, that was another high point. And then very recently, we, we've contributed a very important aspect into an international standard body called Open RAN. And I think that to me is a very important milestone in our career because no Indian company has actually ever contributed meaningful stuff uh, into an international standard in, in our domain. Mm. Okay. Uh, a few. Uh what I call rapid fire questions, but basically just, you know, don't think too much about them and answer them in short answers. Oh. Uh, first one is, tell us about one piece of advice uh, you would give to an aspiring uh, entrepreneur, especially in the high-tech field, that you never got. Ah, I'd say find purpose and the means will follow. Uh, you know, once you have your purpose, uh, you will figure out a way to go through all these things. Uh, this, is, this is a normal... Uh, and then the second part, second advice there would be, you know, just played like a game. Sometimes, you know, there's this concept of Leela, right, in the Indian uh, in mythology. You know, it's a divine, Leela is divine play. Sometimes you just have to play for play's sake. Don't get too serious. Don't take it too seriously. Uh, professionally, name one person uh, who's left a deep impression on you. Actually, there are two. One is uh, Dr. Manshetti, uh, who, was our, uh, who was our first investor, put out our first check. He was, he was a genius. Uh, he, he retired from uh, TI in late 90s, came back to India and started a company called Karbik and, uh, in Manipal in India. And then he started uh, 
you know, a design center in a, in a small village called Nisargi uh, in, in Belgaum district in North Karnataka. He, he used to take uh, laborers' kids, uh, bright laborers' kids and, bright, uh, and teach them BLSI design. And he has, he has groomed at least about 50 to 60 young kids like that. He is an, he is an inspiration. The second person who was an inspiration whom I've never met is uh, Nicholas Talib. Uh, uh, his book, uh, Fooled by Rendon, has actually shaped, has shaped a lot of my thinking uh, in the last six, seven years. And the, the role of luck, the role of uh, chance in some of these uh, businesses that, uh, you know, the, the, that, that, that we are operating. Uh, the, black, the black swan profession, as we call it. Yeah. yeah. As he calls it, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the book, but you already answered that question. Yeah. Uh, name uh, one product that you love. Oh, there is this, uh, uh, you know, uh, ultraviolet lithography machine from a company called ASML in uh, Netherlands. They build, I think that's an engineer's wet trade. Uh, you, you know, they, they are a semiconductor uh, manufacturing, equipment manufacturing company. And they supply to TSMC and all of that. So this actually builds, uh, uh, you know, uh, builds this wafer level. Lithography machines are, you know, basically like screen uh, printing machines, right? But etched at, uh, uh, you know, and uh, very, very small uh, uh, radii and uh, nanometers. So that's the product that I, I love. But anyway, it's a, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not much of a gadget guy. <laughs> I don't, I am, in fact, as you had seen me, I'm not, I, I don't even use my phone to the best of my, <laughs> to the best of its capabilities. I'm more of a, uh, you know, uh, 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 I, 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 I'm, I'm not so much of a gadget guy. I like more, more technology part and abstract things than uh, gadgets. Yeah. Uh, one important thing that uh, you never start your day without. Uh, it could be an activity or a habit or even a beverage. Uh, I start off my day with, uh, I, always, I always make it a point to go and get some physical exercise. I will uh, run or go to the gym. You know, because that, uh, I, I need, I need that physical thing. I need something to get all my stress out. So I just start that in the, I, I never get out of my house without, unless I'm traveling, uh, without, without you know, getting some exercise. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, one city that you would love to live in? Okay. The, the pandemic, I lived in a, in my hometown called Pilgam. Uh, I would love to go back there uh, in India, right? Because uh, it's, uh, it's, it was like Bangalore was in the seventies uh, or the early eighties. Quite nice, green, uh, and good, good set of people. Okay, excellent. Uh, Parag, we've come to the end of our uh, time for this session. Uh, many thanks again for making time for this, and I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thank you, Arin. It was a pleasure talking to you. That was Parag Nayak, co founder and CEO at Sankhya Labs. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays conversation. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, wherever you are listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Have a great Friday evening and a wonderful weekend ahead.